0: Listen to what you have to say to us In your word Please speak to us in our hearts By your Holy Spirit And help us to submit ourselves To the, your authority And to live out uh, In obedience to you What we learn We pray in Jesus name Amen Now this month June is Evangelism month At BTPC In case you didn't know And In the church that I was previously at We also had Evangelism month Now I have a confession to make. I used to find evangelism month a bit of a drag. See, I think to myself, oh great, you know, it's that time of the year again. More sermons to highlight what a miserable failure I am at doing evangelism, and more preaching to make me feel guilty, and more speakers to tell me what I already heard one million times already. See, it's not that I didn't think evangelism was important. I agree with all the speakers, I knew that it was very important, but I still found it very hard, very uncomfortable to talk about Christianity to my colleagues and to my friends. You see, I grew up with the understanding that a successful evangelist is like this. A successful evangelist is somebody who can turn a conversation with a stranger to talk about the gospel. Even if you are sitting next to somebody on the plane, you can talk to them about the gospel. And the successful evangelist is somebody who can say, I brought x number of people to Christ this year see I feel like I didn't live up to this uh, concept of a successful evangelist and if any of you feel the same way I can identify with you see but now I'm on the other side of the pulpit now talking to you and I'm supposed to have something to tell you about evangelism even though I don't feel like an expert well today I want to explore some models for evangelism from the Bible Let's see how people in the Bible did evangelism and we want to learn from people like Jesus or Paul. And when we model our evangelism on the Bible, then we learn that actually it's very simple. Yes, we need commitment, but it's actually very simple. There's three simple things that we need to do. The first one is to build relationships with people. Build relationships. Too often we get the impression that Non-Christians are these scary, hostile people out there somewhere who hate us, who laugh at us, and we open our mouth to mention the gospel. And we think of evangelism uh, like going to war out there. Okay, I remember watching this Korean show called Musa the Warrior. I don't know whether you've ever seen it. It was about this band of Korean soldiers <coughs> who were stuck in China and everybody hated them. So they were trying to get back to Korea, but the Chinese were attacking them, the Mongolians were attacking them. And uh, in one part of the movie... The Koreans uh, got into this abandoned fort, but it was like a. It was set up, okay? Somebody had burnt it or something. And they were all surrounded by enemies on the outside, and they had to defend themselves in this fort. They were pretty desperate. See, often we have this kind of siege mentality when it comes to evangelism. For us, evangelism means leaving our Christian comfort zone, going out there into the hostile world, saying what we need to say, doing what we need to do, and then. Retreating back into our comfort zone again Into our fortress This kind of ghetto mentality that we have Where we surround ourselves with Christian people, Christian activities And we have almost no contact with the non-Christian world But Jesus went out of his way to engage people in conversation For example, in John chapter 4 uh, We won't have time to look at all the passages that I mentioned today Okay, so I'll just mention them and hope that you have heard it, but you can read it in your own time if you uh, haven't read it before. In John chapter 4, Jesus spoke to a woman that no Jew would ever associate with. Firstly, she was a Samaritan. That means that, uh, you know, the Jews didn't like Samaritan people. They felt they were unclean. And then secondly, she was divorced several times. Thirdly, she was living with a man that she wasn't married to. And fourthly, she was alone at the time with Jesus. And we also know that apart from this, Jesus had on many other occasions spoke to people that the religious authorities despised and looked down upon. He spoke to the tax collectors and the sinners. He even went to their houses to eat and drink with them. Listen to what Jesus has to say. I'll put up a slide up here. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Or Matthew 9. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And in Matthew 9, (coughs) he says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees unbelievers with compassion. Because the truth is that they are lost people. They are harassed people and helpless people. They are broken. And their lives are heading for disaster, even though they don't know it. And we need to point them to the only one who can rescue them. See, we should be compassionate like Jesus and not feel like we are on the defensive. We should empathize with those people and not feel threatened by them. I have a friend in Melbourne who is very good at... um, striking up conversations with strangers. He's very, very cheerful and you know, just very friendly and he, he likes to just talk to international students that he meets on the street and often he'll just say hello to them, talk to them uh, and then suddenly he's become their friend and then he invites them for dinner the next thing that you see them in church and some of these people have become Christians. Now you may not be exactly like that, you may not have the same personality but you can still do something to engage with people and build relationships with them. Maybe it means that you spend your lunch hour with your colleagues rather than alone in your, you know, in your station working and doing extra work. Maybe it means getting to know your neighbors and catching up with them and showing them little acts of kindness. Or maybe it's spending time with your elderly relatives. Or it could be joining your non-Christian friends for social activities. Now, don't underestimate the impact that you can have on people around you. We need to build relationships with people But to do that we need to reach them Where they are at See, Don't expect them to come To where you are looking for you We've got to go to them See, We have to connect with them At their level On terms that they can understand They can make sense of Non Christians are all different They are all of different ages They are all of different cultural backgrounds They have different issues That they are dealing with in life Some of them might come to church every week. Some of them never want to step into a church. Some might have intellectual problems with Christianity. Others might have lifestyle reasons for why they don't don't want to become a Christian. And others might be preoccupied with their emotional needs. See, we need to understand their profile in order to reach them effectively. Let's look at what Paul did in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is what he wrote. Though I'm free... to win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. Paul's principle was to tailor his approach. It's not one size fits all. It's tailored approach to different people depending on where they're at. So to the Jew, he became like a Jew. He, he entered into their worldview. He understood exactly where they're coming from, what it means to think like a Jew and act like a Jew. But when he was dealing with the Gentiles, he put himself in their shoes and he got into their way of thinking. And you can see an example of this in two of the evangelistic sermons that he preached in the book of Acts. Okay, the first one is in Acts chapter 13, verse 14 to 52. We won't read that today. Okay, let me summarize it for you. He preached it in a place called Pis- Pisidian Antioch to a Jewish synagogue. We okay. <clears throat> don't have time to go, to go through the whole thing, but basically he says that the Old Testament shows that Jesus is the promised Messiah that the New Jews expected all along and Paul argues that Jesus' resurrection fulfills all the prophecies in, in the scriptures well, of course to listen to this sermon you need to understand the scriptures in the first place and you need to know what the Messiah is right? so he can't preach the same sermon to the Gentiles he uses a very different approach in Acts 17, which is the passage that we read today, Acts 17:16 to 34 Paul is standing in front of a Greek crowd at Athens, the, the kind of philosophical center of the world at the time. Now these guys don't know anything about the Old Testament, but they are very good at philosophies. They believe in many gods. They don't just believe in one God. So Paul has to start from scratch. He has to completely turn around their worldview before he can even tell them the gospel. So if you look at the passage, if it's in front of you, In verse 24, he tells them there's actually only one God. And this God is the creator and the ruler of all things. And in verse 25, he tells them that this God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need people to give him food. He doesn't need attention from people. Instead, it's the other way around. Human beings completely depend on God for their life and for their existence. And then in verse 26, he says that all human beings have a common origin they come from the same person. And in verse 27, he says that all human beings have a common problem. That is, they are separated from God and they need to seek after God. Paul is actually telling them about the problem of sin, even though he doesn't use the word sin. And in verse 28, he even quotes the pagan philosophers and poets because even they have a faint understanding of the truth about God. And he uses those quotes that people are familiar with to try to persuade the audience that God is intimately involved in their lives. And this leads him finally to say in verse 29-31 to that it's sinful to worship idols and you must repent of this sin or God will judge you. See, Paul only shares the gospel after he has laid the foundation. And he only tells them the solution when he's managed to show them what the problem is. He cannot tell them about salvation, about a messiah, until they understand what they must be saved from and why. See, so it's only at the end of Paul's sermon that he mentions the person Jesus. See, My point here is that Paul is very sensitive to who he's dealing with. He adapted to himself very, very good, very well to whoever he was speaking to. And that's what we need to learn as well. We need to reach people where they are at. We need to try to get inside their heads and ask ourselves, what are they living for? What are their ambitions and their goals? What are their struggles in life, their stresses? What are their questions? What are their uncertainties? And only by taking this kind of effort to get to know people can we be more effective in persuading them. Next, we need to build relationships by showing respect. If you look at what Paul did in verse 16, (coughs) when he first started talking to them, uh, in verse 16 we know That Paul walked around Athens and looked at all the idols and he was very, very distressed by the idols. But when he started talking to the people, he did not criticize them openly for their idols. Instead, he gently tried to point them to the truth. In verse 22, he actually commended them for being very religious people. Even though they worshipped so many idols, he saw how eager they were to please those gods that they thought were real. And he said, actually, that's a good thing that you're trying to please the gods. So he didn't slam the idolatry straight away, but later on he kind of got to the point eventually where he said it's wrong to worship idols. So Paul built on whatever common ground <coughs> that he could establish between himself and the people. Now Paul writes in other passages, let's look at some other passages that Paul wrote, Colossians. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone <coughs> and peter writes this in the book of first peter chapter 3 but in your hearts set apart Christ as lord always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in christ may be ashamed of their slander. When we deal with unbelievers, we must be wise, we must treat them with gentleness and respect. Our conversation must always be gracious and tactful. Now that doesn't mean that we just agree with their wrong beliefs or that we condone their wrong behavior. We may not agree with them, we may not accept what they believe, but we must still show respect for them as people. And, We must suppress our urge to be judgmental. We need to tell people the truth, yes, but we must tell them the truth without attacking them personally, without ridiculing their beliefs and practices. Now, part of showing respect is not to be argumentative, you know, argumentative type of person. You know, sometimes people, you know, after Paul mentioned the resurrection here, some people sneered at him, right? And you will get these kind of reactions where people make snide remarks or controversial statements about Christianity and then you get on the defensive and you start feeling that I have to stand up and defend uh, the gospel and argue back now once I read a, a, a book which talked about this guy who was very smart a smart Christian thinker who was very good at answering people's objections about Christianity and he got into this public debate, uh, I think it was at a university uh, he got into a debate about, uh, with this theological lecturer, actually, who didn't really believe in God. And he, he thought, okay, I must really make this guy look so stupid that everybody will know that he's talking rubbish. Okay? And that's exactly what he did. He really tore into that person, he humiliated the person, he ridiculed the, his, his argument, he tore him to pieces. So he achieved what he set out to do. But the effect of that was the opposite of what he wanted. Because the people who were listening to him acknowledged that yes, he had won the debate but they were so turned off by his behavior and so turned off by his arrogance and how insulting he was that they refused to, be, to accept what he had to say. They refused to agree with him. See, he won the debate but he didn't win their hearts. See, it's not our role to try and show that people are wrong and we are right. It's our role to try to save them. And we are not here to win arguments But we are here to win people to Christ So let's be respectful and wise in how we talk to people Now, So far we've seen that the first step in evangelism is building relationships Then what? What do we do after that? What happens when we've already established the common ground We've built that bridge And we've established that friendship then at that point, sometimes it gets hard because we think to ourselves, I don't want to lose this friendship. I don't want to appear judgmental to my friend. And it's hard to tell them the gospel. But the time has come for us to actually make a challenge. We must confront them with the gospel. And so the second step for us is to share the gospel. To share the gospel. Now some people promote a kind of evangelism without using words evangelism without words they say just be a good testimony just show them just be a good friend to them maybe invite them to experience Christian worship and that's enough you know they watch your life and if they're interested if they're curious they'll come and talk to you then okay then you share the gospel to them but that's not what the Bible says so it, earlier this year we looked at the book of Mark and let's look at some uh, of how Jesus looked at his, his own mission okay, in, in Mark Mark 1 verse 14 After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. In verse 38, Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Jesus' mission on earth was to proclaim the good news. The reason he came was to preach the gospel. That's our mission too. Now last Sunday we looked at the other passage up there, the commission of the risen Lord Jesus, Matthew 28. And we also read it in the responsive reading. so We won't read it again. But Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. You can't do that without words. You can't make disciples if you don't tell them the gospel. In, in next passage, in Romans, next page, Romans chapter 10 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So yes, it is important to show love and build relationships with people. And yes, we must build bridges. We saw that earlier. But that's not enough. It's no point to build a bridge if you're not going to cross the bridge. The relationship must lead somewhere. It must be intentional. It must lead to us proclaiming the Gospel. And what are we to proclaim? Well, we must proclaim the Gospel. Imagine you've put so much effort into building this relationship with your friend and when you finally get to the stage where you want to tell them the Gospel you want to make, do everything that you can, everything in your power, to help them to accept the gospel message, right? But the problem is, a lot of people have trouble believing the gospel. Now, the temptation is to try and give the gospel a bit of plastic surgery, okay? a bit of a facelift, a bit of a tummy tuck, to try and make the unflattering bits more appealing to people, right? So some Christians do that by stressing God's love so much. They make God sound so desperate for us that you know, it's almost like we are doing God a favor by believing in Him. And other people promise that God will make your life wonderful if you believe. he give you everything you want. he give you health. He'll give you wealth. he give you whatever. And some people don't want to talk about sin. Don't want to talk about judgment and hell. Because that's very uncomfortable. And other people say, well, just say a short prayer and you're on your way to heaven. You no, know, they fail to mention that Jesus expects 100% commitment from us or he won't have us at all. Those are ways to make the gospel easy on the ears. But the Bible never takes this kind of approach. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's read that. <coughs> Verse 18 to 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I'll Skip a few verses. For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, <coughs> God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, Both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. The Bible says that it's the very nature of the gospel to seem like a foolish message. So we can't try to sugarcoat the gospel to make it more attractive to people. We can't cut out the hard bits so that people will find it easier to accept. Because when we tamper with the good news of God, then it's no longer good news. We must present the entire gospel as we received it. And what's the entire gospel? Well, the true gospel says that people have rejected God, their creator and their sustainer. And because of this, they face God's wrath and judgment. And that's the problem of sin. But God in his love sent his son Jesus to die a shameful death on the cross to take the penalty for sin. And he raised him from the dead and made him Lord of all. And so now Jesus commands all people everywhere to repent of their sin, to trust in him and to come under his lordship in their lives in order to have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That is the genuine gospel that we need to proclaim. Okay, so we agreed on what message to proclaim. Okay? The next step is how should we proclaim it in practice? What method should we use that best communicates this gospel? Well, let's go back to the Bible again and see what it has to say. Actually, we've already read these two passages just now, but we'll just quickly look at them again. Colossians chapter 4, on the next page. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And 1 Peter, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So the Bible's approach is actually very simple. It's simply this. Make the most of every opportunity. See, we come across non-Christians all the time in our homes, in our neighborhoods, uh, in our circle of friends, in our workplace. And as we interact with them in ordinary life, we must have gospel intention. See, whether it's helping out a friend or going to watch a movie with your friends or a normal day at the office, we must have Gospel intention We must model the Christian life um, In how we live And we must talk about the gospel As a natural part of our conversation Now isn't it strange that it's so Hard for us I mean we feel comfortable talking about Almost any topic under the sun But it's so hard for us to talk about The thing that is most important to us That is the gospel message When I was in working in Australia um, People often would come up on Monday morning And say, oh, how was your weekend and you know, sometimes I'll say, oh, didn't do really anything exciting. But actually, that's the wrong answer, okay, wrong answer. Because that question is an opportunity to share the gospel. Now, I'm not saying you give them a complete gospel presentation at 9 a.m. on Monday morning, okay. But what I'm saying is, just a passing comment like, you know, oh, I had a good weekend, you know, I was at church. Pastor said something that really got me thinking, you know, he said something about how my faith is not just about church on Sundays, but should, you know, be about everything I do every day. Something like that. And just a small clue to people that knows, that shows them that you're a Christian and that, you know, you're you know, you, share bits of your faith to people. Now don't make the mistake of thinking that we, can, we we can't do evangelism unless we organize some big event in church. See, evangelism is not about events primarily. But it's about relationships. It's about ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intention. Now we don't have to go overseas to become a missionary. Do you know what? God commissions all of us as missionaries to our workplaces, to our friends, our colleagues, our students, our schoolmates, our neighbors, our family members. And every day we must go into our mission field and proclaim gospel we must have this gospel intention and everything that we do should be a gospel activity to us. Now this gospel intention part is important let me highlight because otherwise our ordinary lives and our relationships will not achieve gospel results. Okay? So sometimes we may not want to share the gospel because we feel oh, we're scared that people won't want to be our friend anymore. The relationship will be broken. Yes, that may indeed happen but remember that our priority is the gospel, even at the expense of the relationship. So we need to be intentional. Now when I say intentional, I don't mean go and be insensitive. First time you meet them, just ram the gospel down their throat. No, that's not what I mean. I mean build up the relationship slowly and make sure that you have a clear aim to get to the point where you can share the gospel to them. So, so far i said the first step in evangelism is to build relationships. The second step is to share the gospel. What's the third step? The third step is I've put there to introduce people to the Christian community. Now that's a bit strange, right? This, you may not ever have heard this before in an evangelist, evangelism talk. What, what does this have to do with evangelism? Well, let's turn to the Bible. John chapter 13. on the slide. A new command I give you, Jesus said, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. On the night that Jesus died, He showed us how important it is for, the, um, for evangelism, for the gospel community to love one another. See, whether our message is credible to the outside world depends on whether they see us loving one another whether there's love in our community life Jesus commands us to love one another but with with what standard of love well he says with his standard as I have loved you and how did Jesus love us well Jesus gave his life for us so that means that we must must love one another so much that we are willing to even die for one another that's quite an amazing mind-blowing thought and if we love one another this much the world will be amazed they'll be stunned they'll see it and be drawn to Christ you know that's exactly what happened in the time of the apostles and beyond because Christians in the Roman Empire were horribly persecuted and uh, the pagans were just amazed at how the Christians treated each other so this guy uh, this Christian leader from the 2nd century called Tertullian He wrote this testimony. He said that he heard the pagans say to each other, See how they love one another. See how they are even ready to die for one another. That's the witness that the church gave to the world in those times. And when the unbelievers saw that, they were very moved. And they wanted what the Christians had, even though it may lead to persecution and death. Now do we love one another like this? Now, sometimes we have our petty disagreements. We have our grudges with each other. We can't stand this person. We can't stand that person. This one's so gossipy. This one's so rude. This one's so selfish. Well, Jesus commands us to love one another as he loved us. And that includes all the people who are hard to love. Now, sometimes we may be hard to love too. We just don't realize it. Well, brothers and sisters, accept one another in the Lord. Because Jesus accepted us. And put aside your dislikes, your grievances, and be reconciled to one another. And stop thinking and saying bad things about one another. Stop being gossipy or rude or selfish. See, we all, that's including myself, we all need to be interested in people and to show concern and love for them. People are often attracted to the gospel community first before they are attracted to the gospel message. Our love for one another is a great advertisement for the gospel. The world is watching us. So why would they want to join us if they come into church and just see you know, a bunch of people who have really bad relationships? They wouldn't want to. See, our love is what proclaims Christ to the world which is skeptical out there. And our love for one another is the ultimate test of whether we really understand the gospel and whether we experience the gospel's power. See, how can the world know that the gospel is true? Well, it's not just by how Bible-based we are, as important as that is. And it's not by our clever strategies, you know, as good as that may be. And it's not by our commitment to expository preaching even, as vital as that is. See, the world knows that the gospel of Jesus is true when they see us love one another as Jesus loved us. And if we can love one another like this, then when we introduce our non-Christian friends to our Christian friends, this love will point them to Christ. Now, our love must extend not just to other Christians, but even outside of the Christian community. So I'll read to you now another verse. 1 Thessalonians. Paul said to the Thessalonian church, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. See, when Paul shared the gospel to the Thessalonians, he didn't just share God's word and walk away. He shared his life with them too. In our busy lives, we want a kind of evangelism that we can just stick in our diary, tick it off, and go back home from. But in the Bible's model, evangelism is 24-7. Evangelism is living a lifestyle of love. Evangelism is not like you know, saving prior Ryan, where you kind of like parachute in, accomplish your mission, and get airlifted out to safety. Evangelism is parachuting in and staying there permanently, living there, working there with the people who live there. That's evangelism. See, we can't just treat people like potential targets and then when they're not interested in Christianity, we walk away. Our friendship must be genuine. we've got to show real interest in them as people and spend time with them and love them. And I know that's not easy. Because our lives are so busy and we have so many things to do. And I know that I need to keep trying harder too to do that. But we only earn the right to speak hard words into people's lives when we actually love them. And when people know that we care for them, then they will listen to what we have to say, even if they don't want to hear it. So how can we love people? Well, maybe we can support a friend through a crisis in their lives. On Sundays, look out for the new people who are standing around with nobody to talk to. Don't just talk to your usual friends. Go and talk to newcomers. Welcome them. Show interest in their lives. Show concern. Or invite them to your house for dinner. Or call them if you haven't seen them for a while. See, I'm sure you can think of many other ways to show love to our non-Christian friends. And next, evangelism is a community project. Community project. And often when we... Think of evangelism, we think of it as just an individual activity. It's something between me and my non-Christian friend. I talk to them. I bring them to church. But evangelism doesn't have to be a solo effort. It should be a team effort. It should be a joint effort. See, I've already said evangelism should include introducing your non-Christian friends to your Christian friends. Now why is it so important to do that? We already said just now, one reason is when they see the quality of our lives, of our love, they can be convinced about the gospel. But there are also other reasons. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. God has given each of us different gifts to serve Him. So not all of us are good at talking to strangers some of you might be quite shy and not all of us are finding easy to initiate gospel conversations and not all of us are good at answering the difficult questions that people throw up but that doesn't mean that you can't evangelize because some of you might be good at building relationships with people some of you might be good at organizing social activities getting to know people some of you might be good at uh, hospitality or getting alongside people who are hurting See, all these are different gifts that God gives and in a Christian community everyone contributes together to sharing the gospel. So whether you're a new Christian, you're an old-timer, or you're an extrovert or an introvert, you are confident or you feel awkward, all of you have a part to play in evangelism in church. See, we complement one another and we make up for our deficiencies with one another's strengths. And it takes the pressure off us because then we don't feel obliged that we have to do everything and we don't have to be good at doing everything. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, <coughs> Paul said this, What after all is Apollos as one of his colleagues? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. See evangelism is a community project. Somebody may plant the seed but another person will water it. Both of them participate in the same task and both of them will receive the reward for having done the job. Now maybe you think I'm miserable at doing evangelism. I haven't led anyone to Christ at all directly in my life. But if you use the gifts that God has given you to participate in this joint effort, then you are also doing your part to evangelize. Now this means that we should show interest in not just the friends that we bring to church, but show interest in the friends that other people bring to church. See, if Richmond brings a friend to church, it doesn't mean that he has to be the one only who looks after his friend. Maybe, you know, Ernest can uh, invite him to a church event or, you know, Layson could share the gospel with him or, you know, Andrew could meet regularly with him to read the Bible. See, another reason for introducing people into the Christian community is because it makes it easier to invite them to church. Church can be a really scary place for non-Christians, very intimidating. And if the non-Christians we invite already know people in the church, then it makes it much easier for them to say yes to come to church so if let's say again Richmond brings his friend to bowling or KTV or makan session right, then we who are his Christian friends should talk to that guy and show interest in them try to get to know them include them as much as we can so that they'll gradually start feeling more comfortable with us and then from there it'll be so much easier to invite them to church because they already know a few people in church well, that's why we are going to organize a church family day on the 26th of June. So that you have an opportunity to bring your friends to a social event. And from there, hopefully, you can have an opportunity to invite them to church the next day to listen to the evangelistic, uh, evangelistic sermon. It doesn't have to be the next day, no pressure. You could invite them at a future stage to church. So think of who you can invite and you know, start praying for them. So to sum up, evangelism is doing three simple things. Build relationships, share the gospel, introduce to community. These three things are like the strands of a rope. I'll show you a picture. Like the strands of a rope. They reinforce one another. Now you can do them in any sequence, it doesn't matter. But as long as we do all three of them, because together they form the strongest model for doing evangelism. Now, let's turn that off. Yeah. All of you might have watched this movie called The Lord of the Rings, right? Or most of you. Now, in, in, in this movie, there's a scene where the hobbit Frodo and his, uh, his gang are chased by black horsemen across a hostile and fearful countryside. But then he finally makes it to this place called Rivendell, which is the house of this elven lord called Elrond. And... This place is so different from the outside world It's a haven of light, of serenity Which the enemy just cannot penetrate It's an outpost of light In a world of darkness And the church is also an outpost of light Breaking through into a world of darkness and despair Satan's grip over the world is going to end soon And the brightness of Jesus' rule Is going to engulf our world forever. And we are an outpost, we are a foretaste of what eternity will be like. So let us live up to who we really are. And let us live lives that are so full of love and hope and joy that the world cannot help but be drawn to the light of Christ in us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great and wonderful salvation that you have given us in Christ Jesus. And thank you for rescuing us from the bondage of sin and transferring us to your kingdom of light. We thank you for the glorious gospel of Christ, which is your great power to save all who believe. Please help us to bring this gospel to a dying world, because we are surrounded by lost and needy people every day. Please enable us to give our time and energy to build relationships with them. And give us the boldness and wisdom to share the gospel truthfully and yet respectfully. And make us a community of love so that the world may know that we are disciples of the Lord Jesus. And may we be your mouthpiece and your vessels to bring many people into your kingdom. For we pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.